Hi, this is Kelly Finnerty from StartPage, the global privacy technology company. And you're listening to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker. And this is episode 257 for January 31st, 2022. The first month of the year is already gone. And today we've got another interview for you, a privacy interview to bookend the Data Privacy Week, which just ended last week. And today we're going to be talking with Kelly Finnerty from StartPage. And if you're not familiar with StartPage, uh, it is a privacy-preserving search engine. And behind the scenes, it actually uses Google, but then it takes away all the Google tracking crap. (laughs) So... Anyway, we're going to dig into that today, and we'll explain how all of that works. One quick news update. If you have not already done so, be sure to update your Apple devices. This includes your iPhones, your iPads, and any Macintosh computers you own. There's some important security updates that just got put out for bugs that were being actively exploited in the wild. So you definitely want to get those updates done ASAP. And again, if you want to be notified of that kind of thing on a more timely basis, since this happens every Monday and that timing doesn't always work out, just like this one, uh, you'll want to follow me on one of my social media feeds like Twitter or Facebook or Mastodon. So final reminder, tomorrow is the last day to submit your listener survey form. And I do this once a year in January, and it is really, really important. I take it very seriously, and I desperately want to know what you like and maybe you would like to change about the podcast. I've already gotten some great suggestions. I'm already implementing some of those suggestions. And to incentivize you to do this, if you weren't already interested enough, I'm going to be giving away some fun prizes. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that after the interview. Also, I don't think I I don't think I mentioned this last week, but every year around this time with Data Privacy Day, now Data Privacy Week, I update my privacy checklist, a long list of things you can do to improve your privacy. That's a blog article on my website, firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. Uh, With that, every year is a kind of an introductory article. So if you go to that website, it's probably the top article there now, and that will point you to my checklist. And of course, there's links to both of those in the show notes. All right, so let me set up the interview here with Kelly. (laughs) We had a great time talking about some very interesting stuff. I will apologize up front. There were some kind of audio issues. There's a little bit of, it's not really noise or static, but you'll understand when you hear it. Potentially some sort of a bandwidth issue. I'm not sure what was going on there. So it's not horrible, but it's noticeable, so I apologize. I couldn't make that any cleaner. There are some things I can do in post-processing to remove some of that stuff, uh, but I can't get it all. So one quick definition uh, of a term we throw out really quickly. You might not even catch it, but we talk about something called A-B tests. And this is something that's very popular today on the Internet, especially with really large companies with lots of users, uh, because the marketing guys could basically fine-tune their stuff based on testing. And they and an A-B test is, okay, I'm going to give half the audience this ad. I'm going to give the other half of the audience this other ad. Or I'm going to give half the audience a blue button and half the audience a red button. And I want to know which one of those things gets the best reaction or whatever I'm looking for. And if you do that a lot, <laughs> turns out you can highly, highly optimize your website for whatever it is you're trying to do. And in their case, it's to get you to stay on the website longer and click more ads. So when we talk about A-B tests, that's what we're referring to. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get to our interview with Kelly Finnerty. Kelly Finnerty is the director of brand for StartPage, a global privacy technology company that provides search and browsing products that protect people's personal data. 
Kelly is also a hashtag tech for good advocate that believes privacy is a worldwide human right and that we are in agreement. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thanks. Great to be here, Carrie. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your, yourself and your company, StartPage? So StartPage is a global privacy technology company. We have been around for 15 years, mm. which in the tech world um, is like dog <laughs> right, years. Right, um, right. And it really means that you know we're established. We have a great community of people worldwide that trust in StartPage to not collect their personal data when they search and to not record their search history mm. while offering relevant, useful search results. And I myself joined the company two and a half years ago. I'm based in the United States. Um, so I'm one of the, the global members representing from the US. And it's been a really, really fun time getting to know this team of people who just care about privacy, care about our users. Recommending privacy products is, is, is really tricky. And it's something I get asked to do a lot uh, in my position, and I'm sure you do too. Trust is so hard to earn, but it's, you know, it's so easy to lose. And, you know, I know people from all over the spectrum. I certainly know several, what I would call purists that, you know, and just insist that any product they use, you know, be 100% open source and uh, it must be hosted and owned by companies that are in privacy friendly countries. And, and at, at the other end, I mean, I know several privacy and security experts who regularly use Google products. I know because <laughs> they email me and it says gmail.com. So it really, I know that different people have different opinions, but um, I'm curious from your perspective, uh, how do you know who you can trust these days? And what are your personal criteria for determining, you know, how private a given product or service really is? That's a great question. And there's a different answer per person. Hmm. I always, when I'm recommending privacy products to a person for them to really evaluate, you know, how do they use the internet? What products are they often using? What platforms and services have they downloaded or installed? And what is their day-to-day -day need? From there, they can really figure out, okay, what do I need in terms of protection? What do I need in terms of just connectability, connection? And then go from there. And that next step is evaluating the privacy policy, which I'm saying in quotation marks, which really is a company's data collection and usage policy. Hmm. So understanding what data is being collected while you're using a certain product. And then also very importantly, how is that data being either securely stored by the, by that service and, or are they sharing it with third parties? Are they selling it to third parties? Really understanding who is seeing that personal data of yours. And then from there, you can start to map out what are the right products for you or not. And then, you know, when it comes to your, your other part of that question, that was, you know, how do you ensure trust mm. for individuals? There's a lot of ways to do it. Open source is one way, but it doesn't guarantee privacy. It, it mm -hmm. really doesn't open source. It also, if privacy is ever going to be mainstream, it also has to be able to be profitable for the innovators, for the creators to want to innovate and develop products that are just as convenient as paid for products mm -hmm. or, you know, ad products. So there has to be that balance there. The best and like most appropriate 
kind of point of view I can give you is from start page. And this is how we make sure that people feel like they can trust us. Yeah. And that's transparency. So we are the only private search engine who has ever published their data flow. It's available on startpage.com. If you click into the privacy, please toolbar at the top of our website, we have a link there that shows how Startpage works. And we clearly map out our multi-server solution of how we protect people's personal data, how we delete and remove each IP address and personal data before performing any search, how we then process that through on-premise servers in Europe um, and or in a selected location closer to the server, how we ensure that as soon as your search result is sent to Google, there's no remnant information about you, the user, and Google only sees that start page is indeed searching. And then how we pass that back through our on-premise server to you, the user. So we've gone to great lengths to publish that data flow, which no other private search engine has done because we want to be transparent. And Carrie, I'm sure you've seen this because you are in the privacy know and in the privacy community, mm -hmm. but we did have a hiccup where, you know, we didn't get in front of the ball enough of being transparent. I do think we a little bit took for granted that, you know, we have this over a decade experience of never breaking anyone's trust and not having to be used to like being in front of stories. And so when we were, when we did receive investment from System One, which is a, a US-based consumer tech company, when we did receive investment from them, you know, we didn't provide enough information mm -hmm. and we weren't transparent enough about it to users. It was more just like a, hey, we did this. <sighs> um, because on our end, it didn't change anything about our data flow, our company leadership, our data practices since 2018, since the investment, we haven't changed our privacy policy. That said, as a team, upon reflection, we did go, okay, you know, we do need to find ways to be more transparent here, make it easier to follow why we took on money like this. So, you know, system one owns multiple different privacy products, as well as just completely not privacy products. <laughs> and they have different revenue streams that are based on behavioral advertising and contextual advertising. So since day dot, since Startpage was founded in 2006 in the Netherlands, we have been profitable from contextual advertising, meaning the top three clearly marked ads in each person's search results are based on the term that they're searching on, which an advertiser has purchased for an ad. So you search for bicycles, the top three ads will appear from advertisers who have bought the contextual ad bicycle. They haven't purchased behavioral information like mm -hmm. what browser are you on? What device? Right. Where are you located? What have your previous searches been? And so for us, nothing has changed about our company or product, but receiving that investment, becoming a system one company, that is something that, you know, we want people to feel comfortable to ask information about. We want people to feel comfortable about that because if we're going to grow, we're going to need investment, but we want it to feel good for our users too. Well, thank you so much for explaining that, but, but I need to actually have you explain something that I, that uh, we probably should cover because it might be confusing to the users is I don't, if they don't understand what start page is, what is the relationship between start page and Google? And, and how do you, <laughs> as soon as you say Google, people, people are going to be like, wait a minute, 
<laughs> we're talking about private. So tell the audience how, how it works with between you and Google. What, what does it happen? Like when I search on StartPage, what is it going on behind the scenes? Definitely. So StartPage is a private search engine. What does that even mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there are four search indexes in the world. There's Google, there's Microsoft Bing, there's Baidu, which is um, an Asian-based search index, and there's Yandex, which is a Russian-based index. All of those four indexes power every search engine that is out there. So back in 2006, our founder, Robert E.G. Beans, was a part of a meta search engine called Ixquick, and they were evaluating the data from a legal perspective that their meta search engine collected on users. And they could see that down to a person's IP address, they could see someone searching about health issues, hmm. financial issues, family issues, highly personal right. information about people was being tied down to one singular IP address. And from a legal and an ethical perspective, Robert felt that this was wrong. He also is a very smart businessman and he realized that you know, you're not going to beat Google when it comes to their ability to organize information on the web. There's such a powerful, strong search mm -hmm. index. Mm -hmm. So what he did is he created, he, he has a, a unique, contract with Google, no other search engine has it, no other private search engine has it, where we as StartPage pay Google for access to their search index. We remove a person's personal data, prior browsing history, anything attached to their personal ID. We remove their IP address, which is very important. Mm -hmm. Many other private search engines just send a partial IP address. We send zero, nothing. And that was the birth of the world's first private search engine. So we are the absolute first company to bring private search to the world. And since then, you know, people look at us as, hey, I can search for the internet. I can, I can look for news articles. I can look for, you know, financial, personal, mental health help without having this long tail digital profile being collected on me. Perfect. Thank you. That was a great explanation. Very, and very interesting, actually fascinating the way that all came about. Okay. Uh, moving on. So despite, you know, the Snowden revelations in the summer of 2013, and I can't believe it's been that long. It's been almost, almost 10 years, I guess going on nine now. I, you know, I don't think most people, you know, really understood the, the, the real dangers of <laughs> abusing personal data until maybe recent years. It seems like it has sort of hit a turning point recently, and maybe it's because of just the collective weight of all the things that have happened, all the data breaches and all the the, the outcomes of, of people's data being collected and then leaked. But what what is your feeling on the current general attitudes uh, of people towards privacy? Because I do think it's been shifting lately. And what do you think are maybe the main events that have driven people to that opinion? Well, when the internet first came out and first was becoming popularized, you know, culture started just, you know, appearing everywhere on the internet. It was, it's fun. And I mean, it still is fun. Right. And so we were just like opt in, opt into everything, you know, without yeah. really thinking about the, 
the implications of that and what was happening behind the scenes. And the same thing happened with, I think, developers and creators of a lot of these products. I don't know that, you know, you know, engineers really set out to create this nefarious system of spying on people. I don't, yeah, it didn't really happen that way. It just happened because man, like, look how fun this is. Look how useful this is. Like, can you believe this is happening that I have this amount of information and intelligence at like at my fingertips. So, you know, I don't think it's, I don't really like look down on anyone who has just leaned into the internet hard without really considering the implications. But then, you know, then it started to become your entire life was online and everything was connected. And that when we started to lose that separation of our physical lives and it was completely blending with our digital lives, our bank accounts are on there. You know, people are doing sessions with their therapists (laughs) streaming online, you know, there really is no end to where your real or beginning or end of where your physical and digital lives end. And so that is where, you know, problems started to appear. And then we see spikes in usage and conversation spikes on social media around start page and privacy. Every time there's a big event on the world stage. So Cambridge Analytica, people saw real world evidence that you could use digital targeting for election tampering that woke people up. Hmm. When the expose documentary on Netflix came out called Social oh, Dilemma. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, we they were able to have actors simulate scenarios, but it, it as silly as some of the things were, real life examples are what wake people up to what's happening yeah. behind their screen. Yeah. And then the other part, Carrie, is the mental health issues that are really becoming realities are waking people up. So it came out that Facebook and presentations to advertisers were aware that Instagram, Facebook were messing with disturbing teenagers sense of self and making them feel inferior or having anxiety. The fact that the platform knew that, and then also offered advertising opportunities around it. Yep. I think these real world examples are are being shown to the average person who doesn't work in tech or privacy. And they're realizing that, okay, the convenience does not outweigh the benefit on this one. How do I take some control back? Yeah. And you know what? And I, and I wrestle with this myself and I, because I know that, I mean, short of, Short of regulation, I mean, these companies are public companies They're and they've got some sort of capitalistic fiduciary responsibility to make as much money as possible. And, I, you know, I think you're right. Over time, I, I, Google didn't start off. In fact, they used to have be, don't be evil or whatever was in their credo, right? And then they, they dropped it. <laughs> but uh, Facebook, too, I think I, I think they kind of. How about some... the guy that invented the first cookie? He feels horrible about right, it. Right, right. And, yet, you know, and I think, so I think these things just kind of snowballed and somebody saw there was a lot of money on the table and then, then it was a cash grab. And But it, I don't see that, you know, with modern capitalism that there's short of regulation. I don't, I don't see there's any other way to curb this. Do you, do we, would you agree with that or, or what do you think? Yeah, it's a great question that everyone is talking about. Who's accountable for this? Mm. If we say that the government's accountable, 
there's no way that the government can move at a pace to keep up with technology. It's just, it hasn't been proven successful. And at the speed of innovation, I, I, I don't foresee it being something that we can solely depend on the government to manage. Is more legislation needed? Yes. Are more fines and someone upholding the legislation needed? A hundred percent. But that can't be our only solution. Then you look to companies and you say, okay, well, these are the laws. It's up to you to uphold ethics, ethical standards and create products. Well, we've also known from a historical experience that many companies are going to choose profit over morals. And so we can't solely leave it to companies. I'm not saying all, by the way, I'm just saying mm. that there's a lot of bad actors out there who are always going to choose profits over their morals. Yeah. Unfortunately, and fortunately, it does come down to the person. We have to be the person who is most looking out for our personal data. We have to be the people who are considering what we're allowing into our worlds. When you have that Amazon Alexa in your house, what are you allowing into your world? When you buy a certain product for your child, what are the digital implications and the tracking implications that you are then inviting into your child's life? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, th- I think one one place I think that a lot of people, because a lot of for a lot of people, regulation is a four letter word, and then they immediately get turned off as soon as you drop that word. And and I, but I think where maybe there could be some at least initial compromise found is with, and you mentioned it yourself, with transparency and awareness. And, and I agree that that certainly government has a hard time regulating technology. It, it moves much faster than than at least in the United States anyway. It moves much faster than our legislators can keep up, but. I, it seems to me, though, that the, the good first step would be to at least require that they be completely open about what they're doing and provably so. Like, I, they should be able to know what data they're collecting, where it's going, and I should, as a user, be able to do that too, or at least so I can compare one product to another and and make a choice based on that. Because otherwise, the free, you know, the invisible hand of the market argument doesn't work. If, as a consumer, I can't properly compare the privacy benefits and pros and cons of product A versus product B. Would you agree with that? Absolutely agree. And if you take a look at our privacy policy, it's so straightforward and simple. But when you look at privacy policies of companies coming out today, it's pages on pages. There's Mm. no way, even myself included, is going to ever go through all of that information. And it's done on purpose. It's done so that you don't want to. Right. Um, But yeah, Carrie, like if there is some way to enforce, you know, like a maybe even a template that a company had to fill in, you know, that, you know, prefaced their privacy policy. That was just a standardized template that we could get used to seeing at the beginning of the privacy policy to be like, Oh, okay. They are, they are recording my location. Okay. They, they have access to my photos and my, and my microphone. And, you know, like if there was a standardized way to do that, I think it would help the, the average person. Yeah, and 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 there's I've seen some interesting attempts at trying to automate some of these processes so that you know third party rights groups can actually write tools that will go out and comb through, uh, like Common Sense Media has been trying to do this, comb through privacy policies and actually try to compare them and have tools that, that compare them. And if they were, if there was a machine readable format for a lot of those things, it would it would just make it so much easier for that and enable 
you know, if if not you and me uh, as regular people, I guess maybe <laughs> maybe you and I bad examples. But for a lot of people listening to this podcast, you know, who would still think oh, I I can't figure that stuff out. But if there were some third party consumer reports or or what have you, that some trusted third party that could then write tools that would go through and comb through these things in a in a standardized way and and, and then could present you you know charts and graphs and tables and rankings, you know, I think that would go a long way toward giving people the option. And then I think it might actually drive the market. Definitely. There's a European organization, a nonprofit organization called Terms of Service, didn't read mm-hmm. <laughs> like the TLDR, yep. um, but this is TOSDR and they're doing that. And it's just that, you know, there's so many companies out there. There's so many privacy policies out there that it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a, a global community to, to do it. But yes, to more of that. Yep. So do you think people understand what the real value proposition is for what's going on? A lot of people today think, okay, so what I'm doing, I'm, I'm trade, I'm getting these quote unquote free services in return for them, you know, giving me target advertising. Yeah. Okay. I can, I'm, I'm okay with that, but it, it's, <laughs> there's so much, there's so much part to it that, especially when you start talking about data brokers and things, do you, why do you think that, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's changing. Maybe this is a poorly formed question, but do you think people still believe that that is the current value proposition and that they're making an informed choice? It's a good question. And I do, I do think people feel like they're okay for sacrificing personal data in the lens of personalization for certain products, my dad included. So he's like, Mm. I love personal ads. Like it cuts, like I see ads on there that are things that I want and and that's a great fit. So Mm. what we need to have people understand is that Okay, so the average person sees around 4,000 to 10,000 ads per day. Oh, man. And those ads can range from everything from, you know, buy this product to vote on this initiative or vote on this candidate to, you know, really subversive things out there of like, hey, like, this is the way that you should parent your children. Hmm. And people need to be aware that the internet is not being controlled by by government and regulated by government that they do need to take some control on their own. Also, a lot of people think that they can't be manipulated by advertising, but if you're seeing something like 10,000 ads per day, mm. it's impossible not to be manipulated by that. It's actually unscientific to say that you can't be manipulated by that. It's called the mere exposure effect. It's a, psycho- a psychology mm. term. And it's just that the repetitive messaging in your, in your public and private spaces will impact the way that you think about things, your perspective on certain topics and products. So it's not just a, Hey, like I like bicycles. And so I'm happy that I'm, you know, seeing that on my social feed and on the advertisements in between my streaming TV it can be a lot more than that. The other aspect in there, Carrie, is like, you could say like, it's all over the place. I give up. Mm-hmm. But if you did that about the environment, you know, right. like that would be a really sad state. So think about it in that way too. Like every little step you take, every consideration that you make when it comes to sharing your personal data or working with privacy products is actually contributing to a larger goal for yourself. Yeah. 
So when people use the internet, a lot of people for a lot of, a lot of people like Google is the internet. I mean, there's, there's people that I literally know that like they, everything's through Google. Like that's how I get to things. Even if they know the web address they want to go to, they'll just still, they'll, they'll search on it to get there as opposed to try to type it in by memory. But I, I think we've kind of gotten a nerd to the fact that we, uh, that little text bar takes anything <laughs> and we could, and so we'll just, or we'll kind of dump into it anything that we want to search on. And sometimes it gets really personal. Like I've heard it said that, you know, your, your search engine knows more about you than your closest friends and even your spouse, because there are things we'll search on that we won't even tell them about, you know, cause they're that private. And yet we're, we're giving these things away to a company that just is hoovering up all that data. So do you have any horror stories that you know of about that? Maybe, or maybe cautionary tales that you could share with us, the, the audience and give them, make them think twice about, uh, maybe not so much searching on it, but maybe which engine they're using to search with. You're so right, Carrie. I mean, searching online is in your search history is like your daily journal, you know, mm. it maps out, you know, what are you thinking about? Everything from hopes, dreams, fears. It is a daily journal that's being recorded and then sold to the highest yeah. <laughs> uh, bidder in an auction um, to send you an ad from it. So yes, we do have some of those stories and I do think it, that those are the best way to, to make people have their ears prick up and care. You know, one, one of our users reached out to us on at privacy, please at start page, which is a community email that we share mm. with folks to, to communicate with us. And the user shared that they had been diagnosed with ADHD and that after having received that diagnosis, they came home and they started searching online about it on a non-private search engine. And from there, their social feeds, digital banner ads, even mm. ads, um, you know, appearing when they were streaming videos on YouTube started appearing with pharmaceutical ads about ADHD. And this person also wasn't at the point of having to take medication. They just wanted to learn more about the diagnosis, mm. learn more about how people deal with it in their lives. And now their entire digital ecosystem mm. was full of ads pushing medications. And it felt really intrusive for them. And it also just felt very mentally overwhelming and inescapable. We've also heard about similar issues with somebody researching anorexia and how that turned into a spiral of then getting weight loss hmm. ads for, you know, either dangerous fad diets or, you know, stupid like products that aren't what they say they are, you know, like a, a gummy bear <laughs> that's going to help you lose weight, uh, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, people are out there preying on this information. So that's from just actual start page users sharing and telling us why they started using StartPage. But in the news, there's another one where a journalist writes about how she was pregnant. And, you know, so for the nine months, she's on her search engine, going through all the different stages of her pregnancy, researching about how to become a, a mother and what that's going to entail. And then at birth, she had a stillborn baby, hmm. um, which is horribly mm -hmm. tragic. And for months to come following that tragic event in her life, her social media, email, digital was all on track of, okay, this was a pregnant woman. She should have had oh, the baby boy. now and just 
filling her world with memories of something that was her worst moment in life. And so that's another example of how, you know, you were kind of put into this categorized track by big tech and it can feel inescapable. Wow. Oh, that's horrid. It, it really is. And it's like, it, the tough part too, Carrie, is, you know, digital tracking is this, this black box and you yeah. don't really pay attention that it's happening to you until you have one of these horrible examples. And sometimes you're not even aware enough to know that it's happening to you, you yeah. know? So it's a tough, tough situation. And I think the number one thing that I can do working at StartPage is just help with that awareness and help have these conversations. So that's why, you know, I'm so impressed by the work that you do to help share these important stories too. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, <laughs> we are all trying to do our part. That is for sure. Um, the other thing that always gets me with people when I talk to people, when I tell them a privacy person, we get to talking is they say they had this super, super creepy experience along the lines of some of the things you're talking about. But the, the, what, what strikes me about these conversations is, is what they'll do is they'll swear. Like I didn't type this in anywhere. I didn't talk about it in an email. All I did was talk about it. Something overheard me, you know, you know, and, and then started showing me ads based on something I just said, or was just talking about with somebody else in front of my Alexa, maybe, or maybe, I don't know, uh, but maybe this is just United States culture, but we're, we're, we're so into our conspiracy theories, but you know, people seem to like, they'll, they'll, they'll believe that they'll, they'll believe that something in their house was some rogue device was recording them, but then they kind of dismiss all the other ways they're giving away their, their data all the time, you know, at a much more mundane things, probably ways they don't realize, which is probably really what's happening there is they, they've, they've got digital exhaust. They're leaving breadcrumbs everywhere they go. And, and some, some AI somewhere put it together that, you know, basically guessed at something they might've talked about. So I'm just curious uh, because you must get these questions from people too. What do you tell people when they say, you know, some device was actually overhearing me. And then on the flip side, just because you're not paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. What, what are some of the more sneaky ways that we are being tracked that people might not realize that are real? I don't think paranoia is bad. I really don't. <laughs> um, like, in, in fact, we at Starpage, we absolutely invite it and we want our users to be questioning everything. So when we get a question from a user or, you know, interest in more in understanding, we welcome it all the mm. time. Harry, the reality is, is some of the stuff we don't know. And behind all of these algorithms and tech are real people. So Facebook originally did not disclose that they did a AB test on whether they could mm. get people more interested in the election with certain you know, Facebook posts that they were putting out as a platform on there. Like they did not disclose to the government, to the public that they were going to be doing these psychological tests on their users. That didn't come out till well after the study was done. And so, you know, we don't know what anyone mm. at, the, at the company is disclosing or not disclosing. Same with um, Amazon's Alexa, you know, they did have in there that for some use cases to improve the product, you know, as the value to the user that they had actual human beings listening to these conversations to make sure that the product was indeed responding right. correctly to right. questions, yep. requests that people were having. So real people were listening. So, you know, we're doing our daily work at home. And if you have one of those devices in your house, you do have to say, I'm okay with a human being being able to tap into that and listen to that. Or I'm okay with that being recorded and potentially used in the court of law 
and know that that is a possibility. I think it was Yahoo. Remind me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think it was Yahoo Mail where an employee at the company was hacking into people's emails and pulling out sensitive photos, personal photos mm. from email accounts. I don't remember. Yeah, that this actually. was rectified. <laughs> this was rectified, but behind all of this technology are people, and right. people can do bad things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even the algorithms, I mean, people think a lot, I think a lot of times people think, well, it's a computer making these decisions. Computers don't have biases. Well, but the people that wrote the code and the people that created the algorithms and a lot of the data that you feed into those algorithms all have biases. So. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So at, at some point, clever marketing techniques can become, as you've kind of said, outright manipulation. You know, when there's highly paid and well-trained teams of marketers and engineers basically using human nature against us. It really doesn't seem like a fair fight. And yet, it, you know, again, in modern capital society, we tend to put the onus on the consumer to see through that, you know, caveat emptor. And we've, and we've talked about that we've, today, or, or you feel that a lot of times the onus is on, is on the person, you and I, to, to, to be aware of these things. But certainly there, there must be some line to be drawn here, some balance to be struck. You know, how do we, how do we create some fair rules for this game without, quote unquote, stifling innovation? Oh my goodness, Carrie, if you have the answer to that, <laughs> <laughs> I'm right? sending you to Washington, D.C. today. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's a tough question. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> Over to me. I mean, listen, Startpage is a private search engine. So, right, we for 15 years, we've solely focused on private search and how to offer the very best solution to ensure that if the individual has some way to take back some of the information being recorded of them online, and since search is such a daily practice and tool, we can be of service in that, right? So we're a technical product that said, we're going to make that our niche and we are going to ensure that every search that you do is now completely your own and private. It can't be used in the court of law. It can't be used to build an algorithm about you. And you can rest assured that you're doing your part, at least when it comes to search, to keep yourself private. Now, this week, in fact, today was the big launch date. Yes, we expand, tell us all about we expanded, that. <laughs> yeah, we expanded beyond private search to protect people's third-party data when they're visiting any website online. So now, it's a browser extension that incorporates the open source code from Privacy Badger by EFF. Hmm. to automatically block any tracker or, th or third-party cookie that's on a website you visit. So we're really transforming from a private search engine to a privacy technology company because, hmm. Carrie, we, we do want to do more. We want to be able to help people take that control, have that power. We'd love other businesses to also look at Starpage and go, huh, wow, you have been around for over 15 years and you're a profitable global mm. company, maybe I don't have to collect all of this data, do all of this type of behavioral advertising to make a buck. Maybe there are more respectful ways to go about building my digital product. So, you know, when you ask like, what do I think needs to be done? That's a never ending <laughs> answer. But what Startpage is trying to do is to offer solutions for people to protect themselves and a business model that is effective that other, hopefully, companies can replicate. 
So you guys are focused uh, on contextual advertising and just as opposed to behavioral. And again, just for the audience benefit, basically contextual, as you said, uh, you know, when I search on bicycles, I get ads, you know, based on bicycles, but that, that there's nothing more to that. It doesn't remember that yesterday I searched on bicycles, for example, uh, or on some other website or I, you know, I clicked on a bicycle ad and, and putting those two, you know, two and three and four and five and 10 and a million things together to build a profile. That's the behavioral side. But there's, I've seen studies about this and I'm curious to get your take what the actual benefit is to the person trying to get more customers or to sell more products. I mean, obviously it's a huge benefit to the, to the ad makers. Uh, they're, they're making a killing on, you know, Google and Facebook on this, but does it really, if I pay twice as much for a behavioral based ad than I would for a contextual based ad, am I getting twice the, the value from that? There's a lot of different ways to, to chop up why someone would choose behavioral or contextual. And it's a, it's a case-by-case decision for each business. For StartPage, we purely chose it based on the ability to respect our users and to provide a way to um, support our product and our tool. However, the New York Times, um, you know, one of the largest advertising giants out mm. there, did in fact do a study where they compared, they tested between behavioral ads being sold on a specific portion of their website compared to contextual ads. So ones, you know, behavioral kind of coming through uh, other third-party data, coming through the big tech uh, ad networks versus contextual ones where it was direct buys where someone said, okay, you're writing about how to make the world's best pork chop <laughs> recipe, we want to be on that. We want to be on that recipe page. Mm. And they actually found that they were able to get a bigger profit from contextual ads. Now it's tricky for companies, right? You do have to have that audience space and that brand reputation mm. in order to secure contextual ads. So that is a challenge for companies just starting out. Whereas again, Google, Amazon, big tech, being they have made it so easy for people who haven't built that trust, that reputation, that notoriety yet to just plug and play with their ad network. So I understand the rationale for both, but it's really important to remember that behavioral means easy, Mm. not better or more profitable. We've talked a lot about maybe uh, the tracking done by Google and Facebook and 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 whatever the people that are the driving ads, but there's also through data brokers and other and other things that may exist on your on your web page, other third party tracking the data brokers and things like that. How how does that factor into all this? And where what are the, some of the dangers maybe with that next level that that you know like and they told two friends right the, the the kind of the next level the one that's really insidious the one that's really actually much harder to see what what's going on at that level and and how does uh, how does Startpage or maybe the new extension you guys just came up with how does it help in that regard? Yeah, and and your example of they told two friends is more like they told twelve friends. <laughs> so on a study, so over over eighty five percent of websites have third party tracking on them, and the average amount of trackers per website is twelve point four. Jeez. So you think you're going to a website trusting their privacy policy, and at the same time, there's around twelve other third party trackers who are collecting the data from you while you're on that website. <laughs> so, you know, that is the reason why we created Startpage Privacy Protection. It's the desktop 
um, browser extension that instantly blocks these third-party tracking from occurring. And Carrie, you're right. Like who, who are these third-party trackers? If you go into the extension, it'll show you exactly how many cookies and trackers are being blocked from that web page. And then there's a button below that says manage trackers and cookies. You can actually click into that and it will list out by name the major and minor trackers that yeah. are on that web page. And you know, the ones that you're gonna see a ton of are Google Analytics, because a lot of websites have that on there, or mm-hmm. links to Facebook, and then so many other kind of content networks on there and other third-party advertisers. And then you start to see ones that are data harvesters. There's ones on there that are recording information and selling it to insurance companies or Mm. health companies to show them that, hey, this person is searching about lowering their um, their debt and kind Mm. of puts you into this third-party category of someone who has debt issues, which might impact your ability to get a better rate on a loan. Yeah. One of the craziest examples of some really dangerous third-party tracking out there was with the app Grinder. Mm. So in the end, I think it was decided that Grinder really didn't do anything outside of what they were saying in their privacy policy. But what happened was that if there's a group of people who want to investigate you or take you down, they can, and this is what they did in this case, there was a Catholic priest and there was an organization that did not want him as a part of the church any longer. And they started to work with a data harvester, a data broker to legally buy data about this individual. And in that data, they found that the priest had a, an account on Grinder. And it did not give personal information that he was on there. But what they could do was they could map out his IP address locations, his mobile IP address locations to gay bars in the area and then hmm. map that and, and prove it out. And they put it forward to the church. He, the priest actually lost his job. So, you know, ads and manipulation from ads is, you know, probably what the majority of people will face. But the reality is, is the data that you're putting out there can get in the hands of wrong people or can get in the hands of people who want to do something bad to you and can use it against you. Um, And that's just a really heightened example of that. Yeah. Examples like that really bring it home. And I know that, you know, it might seem like it's rare or whatever, but it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't matter that it's rare. It's still so impactful that these are the kind of things we're enabling by, by having all this data flowing around. And, you know, as long as it's somebody else, maybe you can kind of shrug it off, but man, as soon as it hits home, that it becomes real personal. So yeah, I think, and I think it's instructive to, to talk about some of these things can actually happen. Not, not theoretically things that actually did happen to people because of this data economy that we're a part of. Okay. So yeah, it's important to know the the wider implications. (sighs) Yep. So let's see if we can end this maybe on a hopeful note. I, I try to do that right. <laughs> yeah, sorry to be all doom and gloom. Well, you know, unfortunately, that's where a lot of this stuff leads. But let's let's look down the road a little bit. Let's let's get out the crystal ball. What where do you think? What do you think the future of privacy looks like? And how do we maybe as consumers or as citizens got to steer better towards 
these more bright outcomes? How do we, how do we have hope again? How do we, or create the, maybe how do we create the future that we want when it comes to privacy? Well, just so you know, I I work in this space day in, day out, and I have so much hope for it. And it's really just about more conversations, more awareness with people. And so they do know what's going on and they know how to find products and tools that are going to protect them. So I think that there's tons of hope out there. It's awesome to see new privacy products and services coming out every single day. And so, you know, my hope for it is that StartPage continues to release new products, new search features, new privacy features that allow people to do everything they want to do online, but with StartPage privacy protection. And then also for, you know, other organizations out there to really think about, you know, what is the next privacy invention? What can I take as like a simple everyday use of the internet and make it better? And maybe you have to change the business model of it. Maybe you have to get innovative, but there's so many good people out there thinking about this problem that I have a lot of hope for what the future looks like. That's good to know. Good to know that you're hopeful. Obviously, start pages would be one thing that you could recommend that people use. And we obviously talked about it a lot today and the new uh, the new extension you guys have. But what other what other privacy tips might you have just in general for the audience or, or you know, whatever friends and family when they ask you, what else can I do that it's beyond what you guys do? What other kind of things might you recommend? What else do you do in your personal life to, you know, for, I don't know, gosh, biometric scanning or license plate readers? I mean, there's so many different ways, right? You know, what what other kind of things might you recommend that people do? today, uh, kind of low hanging fruit or some easy things that we could all be doing to help protect our privacy? I would just say number one, you know, follow organizations like the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Mm -hmm. They are on the forefront of every single type of tool you might need. They have a list and a recommendation on there that has been thought through and evaluated by privacy experts. So if you need a recommendation on a privacy product, just go to EFF.org. That would be my recommendation mm-hmm. if you're looking for privacy products. Yeah. And then just my Kelly Finnerty, you know, recommendation is take a moment and pause and figure out what that threat model is. Figure out how you're using the internet, what potential information you might be sharing out there, and then start to chart out what makes you feel comfortable or not. And it's going to be different for each person. From there, Carrie, like if you realize that, hey, I actually do want to shift to a, a private email provider, or I want to shift to a private messenger service, or I want a more private browser, then go to EFF.org and start looking through their recommendations there. Uh, That would be my, that would be my best advice for anyone who wants to start taking better care of their personal data. And that is a good one. And I, my audience knows that I love EFF and they do have a a surveillance (laughs) self-defense guide that is really good. uh, That's got a lot of those tools that you recommended. So Kelly, thank you so, so much for coming on the show and talking with us and bringing us back to the light and giving us some hope that there there is maybe a, a light at the end of this tunnel for privacy. Thank you so much. You are welcome. And I cannot reiterate it enough. There's tons of hope out there and we just got to keep talking about it. So thanks for doing what you do. So thanks again to Kelly for coming on the show and for leaving us on a hopeful note. And honestly, it it is hopeful. I mean, it's easy to get jaded when you've been looking at this for so many years and seeing how we've struggled with this. But again, as I kind of mentioned in the article uh, on my blog about this, I think 2022 could be a year of major change, uh, positive change when it comes to privacy. 
And I know we talked a lot about StartPage there, but even I think Kelly would tell you that the real purpose that we're all in this business uh, is to try to get people to improve their privacy. There are other ones you can look at too. StartPage is good. I certainly would recommend you give that a shot and see what you think. I, of course, have talked about DuckDuckGo for a while. Uh, there's another interesting one called U.com that's kind of new. There are several, actually, which is a good thing. There's there's actually competition in the space of privacy-respecting web search tools. But all of them are so much better for you than Google. Yes, Google does give you some settings you can tweak to try to preserve your privacy. Yes, you can try to clear your data every so often. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't trust any of that, to be honest. And that's just the Google part, right? I mean, who knows how much information is flowing to data brokers and other people as well. So if you have not done so already, I highly recommend that you try to find yourself a better privacy-respecting search engine and a whole bunch of tools, which is why I made my privacy checklist. So be sure you check that out. Again, if you just go to firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com, you'll probably see a lead article there or the top article now, uh, which will be about data privacy week. And in there, we'll have a link to the checklist and, of course, in the show notes. So again... Last call. Uh, This is the last call for my 2022 listener survey. Uh, It's a series of questions about, you know, things you do and don't like about the show and some other, you know, aspects of the show that I'd like to get some feedback on. And there's places for you to just kind of tell me whatever you want to tell me. And to incentivize you to do so, I'm giving away some prizes, Uh, five winners in total. Four winners will get a free PDF downloadable copy of my book. And the grand prize winner will get a signed hard copy of my book which is paperback. I don't, they don't do uh, hardback books at a press, but it's a physical book that you can hold in your hand. And I'm also going to give away a truly hardback version of privacy is power by Carissa Valise. Fantastic book. And one of my highly coveted security enhancing challenge coins. So you don't have to enter if you don't want to, uh, which means it's completely anonymous if, uh, if you don't, but if you want to enter, be sure you give me an email address where I can contact you if you're a winner And obviously, if you're the grand prize winner, I'm going to have to have a shipping address. But otherwise, it is completely anonymous. And I will, of course, do nothing with those email addresses except for notify winners. So if you're paying attention, I did say it was to the end of the month, which technically is today. But I wanted to give it one more day because I know that not everybody listens to these podcasts on the day that they drop. So I'll give you another day, another 24 hours to get it done. So basically, kind of midnight Eastern on Tuesday will be the cutoff for this. And how do I turn in this survey, Carrie, you ask? Very easy. Go to bit.ly. That's bit.ly slash firewalls dash survey dash 2022. That's a capital F on firewalls dash survey dash 2022. And that will redirect you to the forum where you can leave your feedback. So next week, we have a news show. There's going to be plenty of stuff to catch you up on there. And then we should be able to fall back into our regular uh, every other week rotation between interviews and news shows. I've got several uh, several interviews uh, in the works, some scheduled. One I just recorded uh, with Sean O'Brien, uh, who is a big privacy advocate, and he's a big open source software advocate. And so uh, this was actually one of the comments on the listener survey. Somebody wanted to hear some more about open source software. So we've got a whole interview dedicated to that coming up soon. But I've got some other great and interesting people coming down the pike most of which I've never interviewed before, some of some of them on topics I've never discussed before. So we got a lot of great stuff coming up. So if you want to make sure you don't miss any of that stuff, uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. That way it'll automatically show up on your device as soon as it's available. All right, everybody, that's going to do it. Take care, stay safe out there. And until next time, as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. <laughs>